The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. They're floating a hundred basis point hike. Oil plunges. What happened? Earnings season off to a slow start. This week, we saw the financials and some commentary on markets and economics. All this and much more on episode number 774 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. From some wondrous weekends, some much-needed time off, even though I really only took off one day or two days here and there, crunched all my vacation time into weekends. That's the price we pay, I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, the rest of the time was uh, basically weekend or holiday. I think I took off a Friday, but Monday was July 4th, which was a holiday. So, I, I mean, I didn't have much time away from the office, right? But I did have a great time, and I hope that you are spending some time enjoying the wonderful summer and having the opportunity to spend some great time soaking up the sun with your family. Hey, me, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I am the president of Horowitz & Company. I am the host of this podcast. I'm the host of DH Unplugged with John C. Dvorak, and most of you know what I do. Most of you that have been listening for a long time, I'm not going to bore you to death with the fact that, uh, you know, what I do on a daily basis, but listen, we not only talk but we act. The discussion we have here each and every week is with some great guests or some information and discussion about items that are for educational purposes, but what we do on a daily basis in my practice. What I'm bringing to you is not just theory, not just academia. It is the bottom line of what is happening on the ground when it comes to investing. So I hope you've been listening because we've had some great guests on. I know that you've probably been in the beach, you've been in the pool. It's hot out there. And, you know, I was thinking about just recently summer drinks. You know, a lot of times on summer drinks, what do you have? You want things that are cool, right? You want like, I don't know, beer. You want maybe some water, iced teas. Maybe you want to have some pina coladas for a little change of tune, something a little bit sweet, or maybe even a margarita. Mm. Love that stuff. But you know what I did this summer? <laughs> I don't I don't know what happened, but somehow I took a left turn and I started drinking tequila. Now you may think, oh my God, how do you drink a hot tequila in the summer? I get it. Because at first I'm like, oh, uh, I'm trying to lose weight. I want to drink something that's a little bit more, a little lighter, something a little lighter. What can I have? So I was thinking vodka, but just vodka throws me for a loop. I can't drink much of that stuff. Not that I need to drink a lot, but I'm saying, you know, any, any amount, especially with the hot sun as you're melting in the sun, any kind of vodka drink, I don't know, vodka soda maybe with lime. I just find it, un, I don't find it refreshing and it just, it just makes me tired. 
So my friend was drinking something the other day, and I'm like, oh, what you got? He goes, you got to try this. It's a, um, it was, there was a couple different ones. One was Casamigos, and the other one was uh, the Tall Bottle. Circolo? Ah, I'm butchering that. I'll find that out. But it basically was these Inejos and these Reposados, and they were delicious. They were it reminded me of an easy scotch. No, no, take that back. An easy whiskey. I don't know. Check it out. I thought they were really kind of cool. Some of these, they're, they're a little expensive. They're not your, your, <laughs> you're not, it's not the shots of the tequila with the worm in it that we're looking at. It's not, you know, the, the, the uh, old fashioned mezcals that you have, um, even though the mezcals mean something else today too, in terms of uh, tequilas or tequila light drinks. But it isn't the old-fashioned, even the just the plain Patron. These are smooth. I like it. I like it. But try it. Okay. Um, hey, oh, oh, one more thing before we go on. Before we go on, I want to say one thing. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was traveling last weekend, and I happened upon, just happened upon a liquor store. And I went inside, and I, I was just browsing. Just kind of look at what's going on. What do they have? What do you got? What you have? And lo and behold... I found the bottle I had been looking for for like four years. You see, I was down in Texas. I was visiting our good friend Adam Curry and Tina, and we were going out to dinner, but I had a little time to kill before we were going out, so I sat at a bar with my wife, and we ordered a Manhattan, which, as you know, is made from bourbon, whiskey. Sometimes, I mean, it's not always bourbon, but it's a whiskey. It could be rye, but the bottom line is that I taste this thing, and I'm like, ah, hey, that's pretty good. What, what is that? What am I tasting different? He said, I don't know. I said, what kind of whiskey are you using? He says, I'm just using this Weller 12. I'm like, the Weller 12, what is that? It's like four years ago. I said, you know, can I just try this on the side? I want to taste this. Oh, fantastic. I said, you know, when I get home, I'll buy a bottle, not knowing anything. And for those of you that know whiskey, you know what I'm talking about here. You understand what I'm talking about. When I say Weller 12. The name Sazerac comes up. Pappy Van Winkle comes up. These are the things we think about when you know what is Weller and Weller 12 in particular. So I go home and I look around for it. I can't find it anywhere. I go to the various stores. They don't have it. They're not getting it. ABC Liquors gets it once a day. You have to get in a lottery. I'm like, what the hell's going on? This guy tells me it's a coal brand that he pulled off the shelf to make my Manhattan. And yet I am trying to figure this out. How is it that I can't get it? So what do I do? I call the president of Sazerac. No, I don't know him. But I dig down. I find his number. I say all sorts of strange things to get to him. I said, hello, Mr. President of Sazerac. Who's this? Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Just want to tell you that I love your stuff. You know, I got to the guy. Well, there's a will this way. <laughs> so I get to the guy, and he says, I'm going to put aside a bottle of Wella 12. It's, I know it's hard to get. Uh, promise me you won't resell it because you can get these things for 50 bucks and sell them for 250 300 I'm like, okay, I won't. Well, time passes, nothing happens. I call the salesman. I said, the president of Sazerac says, oh, yeah, 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 I got a bottle for you. Nothing happens. Anyway, fast forward four years later, here I am. Here I am in a store. And I see this bottle. And it's a lot of money. Not terrible. Not, not a Pappy Van Winkle level. You know, we're talking about in the thousands. No, not at all. But it's in the hundreds. Oh. Now, I've had this once before, 
after my trip to Texas, I got my hands on some with someone drinking, and it is special. And I bought it. I did it. It is an early birthday present. My birthday's in March. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, it's something. But the bottom line is I bought it. I feel really good about it. I'll tell you how it is when I open it up. Weller 12. All right. Um, let's talk about more pressing matters, shall we? Uh, and I was thinking about this. I was pondering this. Vacations are good because you get to think. Step aside. Step back. Do an assessment. I always tell you, just get away from the screen for a little while. Get away from the phone for a little while. Let's see things from a different perspective. I talked about this when, when I talked about the haircuts, right? Why don't you do your own work in certain areas? Why shouldn't you manage your own portfolio for the most part? Because you don't have the perspective to do so. But how do you get perspective? You step back. Step back. And you can find out a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing. And when you do these things, what you do is you start thinking about things that you're not thinking about normally. And I started thinking about all these people that I've been talking to recently on my vacations and all that. And what do you do? They say to me, investment advisor. Oh, they say, I'm not looking at my statements. Like, what do you mean? I, it's too painful. Like, oh, so what are you doing? Well, it will recover one day. And, you know, I'm just, until some, I just can't, I can't bring myself. I can't do it. Sound familiar? Are you doing that? I bet some of you are. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Not logging on. When it comes to the mail, I'm not peeking, throwing it out. Because it's fear. And I get it. And I get it. But that's not the right thing to do. And I got to tell you something. If you're at a point that you're not looking at your portfolio because you're down significantly and it's really painful, you didn't do something right to begin with. And I'll tell you something. You should be upset with yourself because we've been talking about this forever. The last two years, we have been talking about diversification and perspective. We've been talking about the flower garden. We've been talking about leaning towards value. We've been talking about the issue about interest rates coming up and inflation protection. I mean, like ad nauseum, right? And I did that purposefully. I wanted to, I'll, let, let me tell you what it is. I wanted to drill it in your head that this is what is going to be happening. While we saw over the last 10 years a situation where there was very little chance to make too many mistakes as interest rates were coming down, as liquidity was flush in the markets, buy the dip was the absolute play. And then we got to a point where things got so hot and so much money was embedded in the markets and people lost their minds. And stock markets got to a great crescendo with anything that was bought, I don't care if it was a pet rock or a pygmy uh, rat, it went up in value. Every house, no matter how crappy the location, every stock, every bizarro sushi coin, uh, crap coin went up. And then something happened. But if you had good diversification, which is what we really focused in on so many times. And I'm not, this is not an I told you so. This is a wake-up call. If you're an ostrich and your head is in the sand, if you're burying your head by not looking, 
at your statements and understanding where you went wrong and what should be corrected, how do you know it's not going to get worse from here? What makes you think that what's happening is just temporary in the names you own? I'm not talking about the markets. I'm talking about the names you own, the bonds, the stocks, the coins, anything that's in your portfolio, the funds, the ETFs. Why are you thinking that just because it went down, it has to come back up? That's really not good thinking. That's not only putting your, your, your head in the sand, that's burying yourself all the way down to the top of your head, to the bottom of your toes. That's just nuts. And if you're doing that, please don't. If you're doing that, I'm going to make a, I'll give you an idea. Don't look. Don't look. Send it to somebody to look at for you. Because if you can't look at it, I am sure. Listen, <laughs> I'll let you in on a little secret that you don't know about me. I'm not really good with my own blood. Now, I used to be a lot worse, but I'm not so good with my own blood. When I see a pretty good cut, I'm like, oh, man, I need to sit down. I need to lay down. Don't let me look at that. That's kind of what's going on with your portfolio right now. Think of it, same thing. I can't look. It makes me nauseous. It makes me sick. It makes me anxious. I can't deal with this. It makes me angry. It makes me upset. But what I can do is hand it over to that doctor or that nurse or that EMT. I said, hey, you deal with this. I'm not looking. Now, it may hurt a little bit as they clean it up and as they put on the bandage, but I'm at least not having to deal with it. Think of your portfolio like that. Give it to a professional instead of you having to look out of it, look at it and freaking out and being in pain. Because the last thing you want to do is to keep on bleeding. That makes no sense. So a diversified approach. Now, let's talk about that. How is that working? Well, it's working a lot better than being concentrated. It's working a lot better than having extraordinary levels of really uh, volatile stocks that are down 50, 60, 70%. However, we know, and I just wrote this to my clients, we know there's not a lot of place to hide this year. So while you're escaping the really rough ride that is coming from, let's say, one side of the growth and tech, biotech, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Biotech I want to talk about. Interesting. But all of this is fascinating that pretty much only energy did well for the first part of the year. Now it's falling off a cliff. Normal inflation protection, bonds, short, long. They worked, but they didn't work well. They didn't work like they were supposed to, quote unquote, in theory. You had to be really careful with where your exposure was. But I got to tell you something. When I'm on the phone with people and we're talking about returns of like, hey, wow. And they say to me, everybody's down 25%, so I'm not really worried. I'm like, oh, that's a lot. Diversified portfolios, at least the way we diversified them, nowhere even near that. Light years away from that. And why? Well, we were underweighted in the growth area and overweighted in value. I talked about that. We were short-duration bonds instead of long-duration. Great. We had some inflation protection, the alternatives in there. Now, were there holes? 
Absolutely. Things to change? Done. Increased growth versus the value recently? Interesting. Reversing after we saw a 17% differential in the ratio between the two split so dramatically this year that we started to shift a little bit. Shifted our bond exposure a bit. But that doesn't happen if you're not looking, right? If you're not looking, you can't diagnose. It's impossible. So if you're not diagnosing, you can't be making changes to create a more healthy portfolio for yourself. I'm not talking about trading. That's a whole different story. Yeah, we have that. We do that for clients. We're more actively involved in certain portfolios and strategies. But I'm talking about our core asset allocation. You know, the kind of stuff that can be considered boring to those that need that shot of adrenaline. The truth is, the truth is that when it comes to money, it shouldn't be and necessarily have to be exciting. The normal MO is just let it do its thing. Make adjustments throughout the various cycles. A watch pot never boils, right? You can't be sitting on it all the time, but you can't be ignoring it because a watch pot, a non-watch pot boils over. You don't want that either. So the point of what I'm making, the, the, the point I'm making here and what I'm telling you right now is I don't want you to be an ostrich. I don't want you burying your head in the sand and getting yourself into even more trouble when you look at it eventually. That's just not smart either. Now, midweek, I was looking at the next few weeks and we saw the major banks come out with their earnings and um, the outlook. And by all accounts, what I have found recently is that account uh, the, the analysts are setting us all up for disappointment. What I think is really happening here is that we're all being talked into a recession. These, oh, what's the right word? Idiots on TV. The combination of the questions that asked, they're asked over and over and over again about, is the Fed going to raise rates half a percent or 50%, 75 basis points or 1%? Uh, are we going into recession? What does that mean? What's the right PE? What's the multiple? What's the price target? Oh my gosh, what's the point of all that? Well, the point is they have nothing else to talk about. They can talk their book. And it's, look at the, just spend, spend two hours watching, if you can deal with this, CNBC. The onslaught of questions over and over and over to the same people. What do you think about this? Well, last week we talked about that. Wait a minute, last week you talked about that? You changed your mind? Or what are you doing now? Just repeating it? Why are you do- talking about that? Why not give us some better information? No wonder why they have such lousy ratings. Bloomberg, much better. Good, longer longer interviews. I like that better. But generally speaking, what we hear and, and, and what is being pushed, what is being pushed is more like it, is this whole discussion 
about the price target on the S&P 500, what multiples should be, and more importantly, what the Fed is going to do or not do. Every day, it seems to be a different maneuver. While everyone has, who has ever studied finance knows something to be true, when it comes to the economy, it doesn't turn on a dime. It's a very slow process of moving, and it takes time to change. And the idea that the Fed can move a 50, 75, or 100 basis points, and that's what we're talking about, this meeting, because retail sales or because housing starts or because the inflation number was this or that is bizarre. Once again, this Fed thinks that they are so important, so powerful, they can actually do what they're doing on such short-term basis. The idea of how fast inflation started moving up must bring us to the fact that it's probably going to move down just as fast. And if they overcompensate by raising rates and bringing liquidity out through quantitative tightening, oh boy, you know what's going to happen on the back end of all this? That's right. They're going to have to lower the, the interest rates 2023. And... What we're finding is that everybody is talking about the same thing. You know what they have become? If we talked about ostriches before, birds putting their heads in the sand, you know what we're talking about now? Penguins. Penguins. You know what happens with penguins, right? They all start to line up a bit. And they get towards the end of a iceberg or maybe even a piece of land, and they all start staring, just looking. Eh, look at that water. I like it. Nice. Mm. Hey, Charlie, what are you thinking? I don't know. What are you thinking? I don't know. Ask Shirley in the back. Everybody starts, they all start huddling up, and then all of a sudden, one of them jumps in the water. What happens? They all jump in. They figure, eh, you know what? It doesn't look like he got eaten. Let's go. Looks like, ah. Uh, Water doesn't look too cold. Let's go. Everybody's in the pool. This is what's happening with analysts right now in terms of their calls for recession. All that. But more importantly, all of a sudden, now we're seeing that we're finding more downgrades and price adjustments lower for targets. According to the consensus that we saw the second quarter, U.S. banks are going to expect it, and, and when we see the totality of all, we've seen a few of them already, of course. When we see the totality of them all, expected to fall sharply from a year earlier on increased loan loss reserves. And what happened is that we saw a lot of money be pushed into the banks during the pandemic, of course, and that came out. But what's really fascinating to me, what really is troubling is banks have been in the doghouse, in the, in the penalty box, for a long time now. You know, you look at, Bank of America and City, and you look at um, City had a decent number last week. Uh, but you look at Bank of America, City, and Goldman, and you look at Morgan Stanley. I mean, the whole list of them, right? They've been in the penalty box, and there's an idea that once a recession comes, they're going to have to increase their overall um, loan lo loss revisions, uh, loan loss uh, reserves. And um, pretty interesting when we're looking at J.P. Morgan, you know, about a 25 percent drop in profits. Citigroup did better. 
Um, you know, they're looking at 30, 40% for some of the other regionals. And um, what's happening is that, that they're reversing. They're reversing the loan, res- the loss reserves that they, they put aside, and then they moved out during the recovery, and now what's happening, they're putting them back. So all that money that is there is, is being pushed in. So this is this shouldn't be counting towards or against earnings, in my opinion. If this is money that needs to be put aside from time to time, they should put that aside into a different category and not push it towards earnings. That's just silly. But that's what banks do. They have this huge ability to adjust things. But even with the higher rates that we've seen, which is often a good opportunity for banks because what we have is the um, the net interest margin that is uh, the bread and butter of what banks make, right? They they loan out money at the long-term rate and they take in money and, and, and pay out at the short-term rate. But right now we have an inverted yield curve, a pretty rough inversion right now too. But analysts are not only all of a sudden, it is pretty quick, the last week or two, maybe even three weeks, cutting price targets. But they're really going a little too far, in my opinion. Because there is a dire outlook right now. But I think a lot of that is priced in, in terms of the banks. Technology, small tech technology, you know, the uh, some of the fintechs, uh, some of the ones that will be here, uh, really took it on the chin. And I think some of them are mispriced to a... Pretty significant degree. Biotechs, which I'm going to talk about in a second, pretty important to look at those. But I think what we're finding is somewhere along here, I guess what we'd have to call peak pessimism. The idea that everybody is saying, no, no, not a good time. No good time to buy. Nope. And yeah, it was a down week again this week. No question about that or last week, last month, I should say. The month is really what I'm talking about. The last month has been rough. Last two months, three months. I'm talking about the general trend right down. It's, it's got a long way to break to the upside. But what's interesting here is that everybody I talked to is like, oh, no, not a good time, which I think is, is really a fascinating time to start thinking about, hey, where are the opportunities Because usually when nobody wants it anymore and the selling has been exhausted, there's opportunities. I'm not talking about an opportunity to get back to the highs right away or ever. But some of these names, even if they go up 100%, they're still down 50% from where they were. You take a stock that was at 100, down 80% to 20, goes up 100% to 40, it's still down 60%. Right? Does that make sense? So with the bad news out for J.P. Morgan that we saw, for example, and looking at the outlook and considering the loan loss reserves building, is there anything really good to say? I mean, yeah, we saw some good numbers from a few banks, but I still think that we're talking ourselves into a recession. The Penguins have lined up. They've all jumped in the pool one after the other. And who are these Penguins? Well, the analysts, the economists, the price prognosticators. All of these crazy dudes and dames that are just out there following each other because they need to stay and be consensus. 
But here's the bottom line when it comes to this. Just like we talk about when it comes to being an ostrich, maybe there's a better option. They all need to stay close. There is career risk in being apart from the waddle of penguins. Major career risk, so why take it? And with that in mind, why don't we start thinking that maybe some of these analysts, while they can push and pull, right now are running scared because they too were late. It's a time to be slightly contrarian, I think. That's what I want to be right now. Not all the time, but sometimes. And when it comes to stocks, I think it's a really interesting time to start putting our contrarian hat on and thinking about the other side of the equation and where things could go if something goes right. Everybody is suggesting that prices should go lower. The bull bear index is at one of its at its lowest points in less 20 years. 20 years. Meaning everybody's bearish. The National Association of Active Investment Managers, the allocation, how much exposure they have to equities is down nearly where major significant reversals happen in the past. Again, that doesn't mean that one week, you know, we're down 3% on various indices and next week is up 3%. Is it too late? Is it too, and we're going to see a lot of muddling around for a while. But these numbers that we're looking at are really interesting. Will it pay to follow the penguins this time? I think they're late. They have to be, as no one wants to make the first move. They're scared. So it's going to be a long time until price estimates start actually leveling off and pricing up. There's no question about that. But these are the same creeps that were late with their adjustments. Many are just now coming out with realistic estimates for stocks and indices, and they're all lowering their, their future price targets. And honestly, there are a lot of problem spots out there. We all know them all too well. But there are some stocks that have been absolutely left for dead, like, that's never going to get better. I mean, look at a Target, for example. Have you looked at that stock lately? Fascinating. Do you think Target is going to stay with all this inventory and these losses for very long? Will Target get obliterated due to the fact that we move into a horrible recession, which I just don't see, at least at this point? And when you look at other areas, you start having to think about, ah, is there anywhere in the market that's starting to look attractive? Huh. Interesting. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that you don't necessarily have to have a stock market entirely going up for areas inside of their sectors, specific areas that do well. Take a look, for example, at biotech. Totally crushed over the past year or so. The individual names and the indices just obliterated. Why? Well, earnings. 
early and late stage, or really early, but even the late stage, many biotechs don't have any earnings. They don't have much to show for what they're doing, except for potential. And usually they need more cash infusions over time to keep things going. And if we are doing it in a time that money is more expensive and there's less liquidity, it's not so good for these companies. Companies in the biotech area that are developing various drugs and cures are much more aggressive than even some of the early stage technology companies that actually have a product. The question is, does anybody want to use it? Much different than we don't even have a product yet because we don't know if it works. We think it works. But here's something interesting. As many people are abandoning many of these names and just saying, anything that doesn't have earnings, I'm not interested in. I'm staying away from it because Jim Cramer said you can't do it like that. And this falls into that category. Yeah, you want to hear something really interesting? Take a look at XBI, moving around a lot. But from the bottom uh, in, I guess, about May to mid-July, up 28%. And there was a long consolidation there. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is this an early sign that some speculation on these beaten down names throughout the biotech area and maybe even some other areas that don't have earnings but yet have a very bright outlook could be coming back. That maybe there's some speculation on, hey, you know what? This has been beaten up too much. Different than the speculation of, oh my God, it's hitting all-time new highs. I'm 15% a day. I got to get in. Much different mentality. But they threw out everything. They abandoned these names. And maybe now some of the speculation is coming back that, well, you know, Matt, maybe we went too far. It's possible that we just went too far. So there were opportunities out there. But you're not going to find them if your head's under the covers. Watching to those, watching those, those analysts on TV, analysts we call them, analysts on TV, the talking heads, or following sell-side analysts. This is not happening. To be clear, there's a, there's, a, there's a huge amount of headwinds. If we're talking about driving, there's potholes in the street. And you're going to run into a lot more problems as we see the world tightening and the conditions stay just as bizarre with COVID and wars and all the things that are going on right now in the world. The dollar being as high as it is, uh, cryptocurrencies getting just obliterated. But you can't run scared all the time from investments. You can't be in at the wrong time, out at the wrong time, and think that long-term you're going to make money. Rushing in to get into the opportunity because it's moving up and then saying, oh my gosh, I'm holding on to this no matter what, and then getting out when you're losing money, and the cycle continues. Buying high and selling low. That is not the way you want to do things. There's two sides of investing, too. There's long and there's short. And maybe a third out, just cash, right? Long, short, out. But I'm going to ask you something right now, and this is going to tie it all together. 
when I talk about what's going on with the ostrich, when I ha talk about what's happening with the penguins, they head under the covers, not looking, not doing anything, saying I'm off because everything isn't doing well. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. How many times you've, have, you, have you ever, ever in your life won a game just sitting and watching from the sidelines? Think about that. How many times, whether it is a physical sport, a virtual sport, a card game, jacks, how many times have you ever won by sitting out and watching? Hmm, not. Doesn't happen. Because you need to be in the game. You need to be in the game to win. Yes, you can lose. We talked about risk mitigation many times. You don't even have a shot if you're not in the game. Basketball players fall all the time. Boxers go down. They come back and sometimes even take the win. Baseball players strike out more times than you can imagine, but then they hit that home run. And when they do, when they do, it's a good thing. There's opportunity to win. But sitting on the bench will never give you the opportunity to do anything. You can't win. You can't even... There's nothing if you're not in the game. And as I told you many times over the last year, you don't have to be in fully. You can be in partially through either diversification or the one foot in, one foot out concept that we talk about, right? How we diversify and then move you in slowly. I got to tell you, we have been moving clients in that have recently uh, came over very slowly, very slowly. That may heat up soon, but, you know, there is this incredible um, desire and thought that, hey, we, you know, let's just stay out until the right time. When's the right time? I've been doing this 35 years, and I got to tell you something. Market timing is really difficult, if not impossible. So let's get our heads out of the cover, out of the sand. Let's stop being a penguin. Let's start being a contrarian. Let's start thinking about getting in the game, even if we're just in for a few innings. I think that's what I want to share with you today with what's going on in the markets and the economy. I wanted to finish this week's discussion up with a with a question from a listener because I think this was a really good question and I think that many of you probably over your time investing, you, you had the same thought. You were thinking, ah, you know, what about bonds? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? So um, this question comes from Scott. He says, hey, Andrew, uh, I need some help understanding the risk and return associated with buying treasuries via a treasury ETF. In this specific case, the uh, symbol VGSH. Recently, I've been buying tranches of two years when rates move above 3%. And when the intent, uh, I have the intent of either holding to maturity or selling if rates dip back a lot lower and I could be replaced elsewhere. The position is getting larger and I'm starting to think of it as a hassle. If I want to start selling while liquid, I have to go through the process of requesting bids through my broker for all different treasury issues. Yes, yeah, so that's the problem. So I'm wondering if I could simplify this by buying a short-term treasury ETF in a similar fashion. But with my strategy of only buying above 3%, I see a couple of scenarios where the ETF underperforms. So he asked me basically, you know, a couple of different scenarios, what to do. He said, I still don't understand the total possible risk and return differences of either scenario. 
All right, here's the problem. With your strategy, what you're looking to do is take individual bonds and enter them when interest rates reach a certain level, right? So as you mentioned, when interest rates uh, move above 3%, I'm a buyer, and then what's happening, I'll sell if they move down because I'll make some money on it, et cetera. The problem is that that's all fine and dandy when you have individual bonds, and what happens is that you could actually go and sell the whole lot, and you know the duration and maturity of your bonds that you bought in the pricing. When you start going into an ETF with this strategy, you have no idea what they're holding. Now, they are holding bonds that are two-year or less treasury, let's say, but you have no idea what interest rate they bought them at. And that's a big problem. So the risk you have is that they are buying just to buy, not just buying over a certain threshold of interest rate, and that may throw off the entire strategy. Now, let's stop for a second and talk about something that's related to this conversation, but yet not exactly the same. And what I'm talking about is the differential between buying individual bonds and ETFs or mutual funds. Now, the, the, the idea of, of, of utilizing one or the other will also depend on what your strategy is. What I like to do for my portfolios that are well diversified is utilize primarily bond mutual funds as opposed to ETFs. What we have found over the years is that from the studies we've done over multitude of time periods and design by breaking down sectors and looking at managers of different um, uh, structures of the mutual funds of what they're doing, domestic, international, hedge on edge, we have found that traditionally uh, and more standard, the idea of buying mutual funds, while it doesn't seem like it is, has actually outperformed ETFs. And there's a lot of good reasons if you really start thinking about it and understand it, why that is. One of them is, well, uh, mutual funds have the opportunity to uh, move around and have a greater active management component than an index ETF. And I'm talking about index ETFs primarily, non-active or passive managed ETFs when it comes to bonds. And when bonds start moving against them and when they start seeing redemptions in ETFs, what you have is, a bond mutual fund's dream. They get to buy things at negotiated lower prices. So when it comes to a strategy of utilizing ETFs, individual bonds, or mutual funds, we have chosen to use mutual funds for a chunk of our bond exposure, the fixed income exposure. Now, getting back to this, the problem you have, even though it's a very low-cost option to utilize the ETF, uh, I think the movement if your strategy is above below 2% above 3% moving back back and forth you're not going to get the same punch in the ETF what you may want to do is think about blocking this up and not having all these components back and forth so if you're in fact buying all the time on the same level and just holding them maybe an ETF can work but if you're really thinking about selling them when interest rates drop that's where the problem comes in so i think that there's little apples and oranges going on here, but you're seeing fruit juice, right? So it's all fruit juice. It's all treasuries. 
But you have a strategy here. That's what you laid out. You're not asking me, Scott, hey, you know what? I want to buy bonds. What's the best way to do it? That's not what you're looking at. You're talking about a totally different situation here. And I, and I think that's nothing wrong with that. I think that depending on, on how much money you're looking to make and what you're doing, it seems like a lot of work for the money. And the question is, you know, how much risk is really on the table once you really load up? I think you're right that two years are a bit hot right now, but that doesn't mean they're going to be hot forever, nor does it mean they're going to be just um, staying at these levels either. So I think you have a bit of a conundrum going on. So thanks for that question. You know, you can send me a question. Anybody can send me a question. Just go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com. And by the way, while you're there, you can click on the Ask Andrew button and ask me a question. But while you're there, take a look at all the different strategies. If, 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 I, if I hopefully jarred you awake today and said, you know, get your head out of the sand. Let's start thinking about looking for opportunities. Let's not just follow everybody and listen to these idiots on TV. And you want to work with somebody because you don't feel like dealing with your own blood and your own injuries. Hey, do me a favor. I want you to, I'm, I'm going to let you know what we're going to do this summer. Just send me your portfolio to look at. And I'll tell you what we could do and what maybe we can't do. A lot of times I'm like, you know what? This doesn't look so bad. You never know. That may be the case. But at least get started on the process of dressing the wound, of taking your head out of the sand, of making sure that you are thinking like a contrarian now and making the right moves. All of that is available on the disciplinedinvestor.com. That website has all the information about all the strategies. Investology, if you just want to get started, $10,000 minimum. It is an advisor crafted, a technology-enhanced strategy. Taking the best from robo and taking the best from advisory and blending them together. And if you're just starting out, and you want to do something, but you don't really have all the money. And you think, oh, God, this guy Harwood takes, you know, $10 million above. No, $500,000 is minimum for global allocations, $50,000 for TDI managed growth strategy, and $10,000 for the Investology platform. Go check it out. Cool stuff on there. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. It is the summer. We're taking a little bit of a relaxation in between shows. We'll get back to our various every single week shortly. But right now, I want you to enjoy the summer. Spend some time... Well, just, just playing, doing your thing. But at the same time, do it with purpose. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.